um, one of the awesome things about Fullness Now at this stage of our lives is that we're 20 plus years as a church. Uh, We're seeing things like people who came into our church 15 years ago now grown up uh, and going forth to accomplish God's purpose and plans for their lives. Uh, One of those has now come back on staff with us. Um, when Scott and the Shoup family, when Brian and Brenda and Scott and the Shoup family came to us, Scott was probably nine. nine, nine years old. And now Scott is back on staff with us as our uh, pastors to, to students. And Scott has a real, real, real love of the word of God. And so I've asked him to come and share with us, to preach to us this morning. So Scott, come and share what God has placed on your heart. Good morning. I hope the saying is not true today that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Um, It is true that I've really grown up in this church. I think I was nine um, when our family came, and so I have years of of memories, um, almost all of them good, uh, from being here. Um, I remember one time I was in youth group. Uh, sometime in high school, and back then the, the high schoolers would sit right here on the front row. Um, I don't know, maybe we should bring that back. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it was it was Advent season, like we just finished Advent, and uh, so the, the wreath and the candles were sitting out here, and uh, it was during the sermon, and uh, me and the other high school guys were not paying attention at all to what anything Pastor Bart was saying. Uh, we were our eyes were, were fixated on, on the candles because one of the candles in the wreath um, was particularly low that day. And uh, as, the sermon, as the service just kind of went on and on, it kept getting lower and lower as the, as the wax burned down. And we were sitting there thinking, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if this thing, if the wreath caught on fire? <laughs> um, and so that's, that's what we were focused on. And, uh, but at the last second, right before the, the, uh, the flame featured, uh, touched the wreath, somebody jumped up and doused our, our dreams. So, so I'm still waiting for the day that a, a fire catches, a uh, physical fire catches here in the sanctuary. I remember another uh, Sunday, I think I was probably in college or, or a young adult, and uh, I was sitting in the back row that Sunday, so I guess when you graduated from high school, you moved from the front row to the back. Uh, it was, I think, sometime in the fall, and uh, there was going to be a ladies' retreat that year, like we had this, this past fall. And uh, that particular Sunday, um, they'd asked my dad to, to stand up and uh, kind of address the men of the church to, to encourage their wives to, to go on the women's retreat. And uh, some of you may know my dad's a college baseball coach, so he's a very good motivational speaker. And uh, he um, had a really good motivational tool that day, too. Um, after he got done talking about how the, the retreat was a blessing to, to my mom, to his wife, the time she had gone, he told about one particular year that uh, she had gone, had a great time. Um, but he, he ended, he said, uh, after it was over, um, I, I really missed her that weekend, and she really missed me, and uh, she came home, and nine months later, we had the twins. <laughs> and uh, so everybody else was laughing, and I was in the back seat, wanting to disappear. Um, so, I, <laughs> I tell those just, one, because they're just, they're kind of funny, but also because they're, they're memories that I have from over the years of growing up here and uh, things that I've recalled and, and remembered, and that's kind of what I want to be talking partly about today. Um, but before I get started, um, can we pray again? Um, Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that you are the source of our hope, um, that our hope is, is uh, built on nothing less than you. And we ask, Father, we, we know that you're already here, but we, Lord, we ask that you would uh, continue to move this morning, um, that you would bless the, the preaching of your word, um, that it would be life to us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, um, and I hope you do, please turn to uh, Psalm 78, Psalm 78. Um, really, this this message got started, I think, back in April, um, past spring. Uh, it was interesting, um, kind of how this has come full circle. It was right about the time that uh, 
that Pastor Bart was um, contacting me, and uh, Andy and I were engaged at that time, and uh, he was starting to be in talks with, with us about coming on staff here with the youth ministry. And as we were praying about it and um, thinking about it, I felt like the Lord brought me to, to Psalm 78 uh, one day, and it felt like he just, he kept, it seemed like he kept returning me to this, this passage over the following weeks and, and months, really, and it's kind of been in the back of, of my head, some thoughts that I had journaled um, just kind of all, all summer and all fall, and then this past fall when he, when Pastor Bart approached me and asked me to, to preach this Sunday, um, I knew instantly um, that I, I was supposed to preach on, on this passage, Psalm 78. Um, some of you may be thinking, oh, well, no, how long is this sermon going to be? This is a really long psalm. Uh, don't worry, uh, only going to focus on the first eight verses, really just on two of those eight verses. Um, I have really three goals for this message today on uh, Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. One, I want to talk about um, the importance of, of influencing the next generation, passing on truth to the next generation, the truth of who God is and what He has done through Christ. Um, I think you'll see that that's the theme of this psalm. Uh, but I want to do it using three key words, um, really action phrases, that really have become meaningful to me personally over the last few years that I think all are found in this psalm, or some more explicitly than others, um, those words being hope, awe, and remember. And then lastly, I want to kind of try to tie it all into our body as a whole. I don't want to just be speaking only to our youth or, or our college students or our parents, but hopefully to everyone here this morning. Um, so with that said, um, let me read Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, so that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Just a little background and some context for this, this passage uh, your Bible probably says that it was written by a guy named Asaph, um, who's, who's attributed as uh, being the author of this psalm. And Asaph was the, the worship leader for the children of Israel, the, the people of God. He was a worship leader. He was a songwriter. He was a seer, it says in, um, somewhere in Scripture. Uh, so he had some prophetic giftings, and he was the one who penned this psalm. So it may have, may have even been originally a song that they sang. And uh, it's, it's part of uh, part three of the Psalms. If you've ever read through the Psalms, you may have noticed that they're divided into five sections or five books. And uh, Psalm 78 falls in book three. And uh, scholars say that this collection, this part of the Psalms, was written sometime after King David, after the reign of King David. So sometime during the reign of King Solomon or uh, some of the kings after him. So really they were written kind of after the, the quote-unquote glory days of Israel, um, kind of when the kingdom was probably more on, on, the, on a decline, and there was a lot of idolatry in the land. There's a theme of idolatry in this psalm. Um, and uh, so really, the, the time period was in, in many ways similar to where we are today um, in modern-day culture. Uh, the theme of this psalm is, is passing on truth, influencing the next generation, uh, with, with who God is and, and what He has done so that their hope should be set in Him and so they should not forget who He is. Um, and I, I wondered that if, if Asaph, when he was penning this, if he had in mind a particular passage in, in Judges, which I think is one of the scariest uh, couple of verses in the whole Bible. Um, and I don't have PowerPoint today, but you can jot down some of these, these uh, scriptures as I, as I say them. 
Uh, but Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says this. It says, And all that generation and, also, and all of them were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. To me, that's one of the scariest passages in the Bible. Is really, it all it takes is one generation dropping the ball and not being intentional to pass on the truth to the next generation for a generation to arise that doesn't know God or what he has done and to turn away to idolatry. And uh, that's what we do not want to have happen uh, in, in this body. Amen? Um, I don't think I really have to go into the problems of what young people are facing today. Uh, we've probably all heard the stats, read the stats of how many uh, young people after they leave high school and in their college years and young adult years that they leave church and walk away from the faith, many to never return. Um, our young people are faced with so many challenges and temptations, uh, the, the pressure to, to project a certain identity in their schools and to, to be a certain person. Um, of course, the temptations of, of being online. and I mean, I, the list goes on and on. And uh, I think it's very easy for anybody who has any kind of interest in future generations to become very hopeless about the situation, um, about the stats and, and uh, things that we read about and hear about. And, um, but I believe that this passage uh, gives guidance for this situation. It doesn't give uh, a magic bullet. Um, we always want a magic bullet, so to speak, um, in church, that there's some foolproof, foolproof uh, formula. But I don't think it gives that, but I think it gives guidance and gives wisdom for, for passing on and influencing the next generation for God. Um, but before I really get into three points um, that I have from this passage, I want to just say beforehand that um, one thing that this passage does not say is that it does not say that this is the job of the pastor primarily, or that it's the job of the youth pastor primarily. It doesn't even say that it's primarily the job of the parents, although I think that scripture would affirm that, that it's primarily the parents' job, but it just says we. It's just an open-ended we. We want to pass on to the next generation. We don't want to hide from them. And I think that's intentional. I think that the point is that if you are part of the family of God, the family of faith, that the responsibility is on you. That's part of what you have signed up for is to influence the next generation for God, um, to look beyond just your own generation, but to those coming after you. So with that said... Um, there's many points that could be brought out of this passage, but I just have three. Um, and so number one uh, is, is hold out hope. Hold out hope. Uh, verse 7 from this, from this psalm says that we do these things so that, so that they should set their hope in God. And that word hope uh, can also be translated as confidence. Some passages, some translations say confidence. Our young people today, um, really anybody, But especially our young people are pressured to put their hope, to put their confidence in so many things. Um, Andy and I have had the privilege the last few months of of, uh, getting to be with our our high schoolers, our junior high students here, and our college students here at at Fullness. And um, it's been great to be reacquainted with some of them who I knew before, um, but also to meet the ones that have come since since we were gone. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed and been impressed with is we have a really talented group of young people, really gifted group of young people here. Uh, They're very gifted uh, athletically. A lot of them play sports. It seems like it's, I mean, it's a nightmare as a youth pastor to try to plan things because it seems like half of the youth group is gone playing something uh, like every day of the week. Um, And it seems like half of them are hurt from from the sports that they play too. but they're, they're a very gifted group athletically. They're a very gifted group. Uh, a lot of them are very gifted uh, musically. Um, it's, I'm blown away with how blessed I am to get to come in. And our students are the ones that lead worship for us. Uh, they're very gifted academically. We, I mean, our, we have kids who are going to, to Rice. And, um, I mean, with incredible uh, SAT, ACT scores. Um, so just really brilliant group of kids. But with... The, those giftings and those abilities and those talents comes the temptation, I think, to place their confidence 
in their, their giftings, in their, their abilities. Um, also, I, I forgot to say, they come from a great group of, of parents, too. So they're very gifted, if you want to say the word gifted, morally. They're very good students. Um, and I think the temptation can also be to, to place their, their confidence in just how good they are of, of people, because they are good people. Um, but the, the problem with, with that is that is what you, whatever you put your confidence and your hope in is what becomes your, your idol. It becomes what you, you worship. And as I was thinking about this, this word hope and this idea of, of holding out hope, instilling hope in the next generation, um, I started realizing that the, the, everybody wants hope. The word hope is not a churchy word. Everybody talks about hope. Everybody wants hope. We really, we can't survive without hope. We crave hope. Um, but the world's way of instilling hope, of holding out hope, is very different, is really the polar opposite of God's way, of Scripture's way of holding out hope. The world's way of holding out hope and of instilling confidence is that it would be placed inward, to look inward for their source of hope. Um, I mean, it's even, it's in our, it's in our lingo. We, you know, the words like self-esteem, self-confidence um, are kind of buzzwords. And I mean, I think if you go to a secular psychologist, psychiatrist, and you, you're having problems, probably what they're going to talk about is you need to learn to love yourself more. You need to believe in yourself more. You just need to, to have a healthy self-esteem, a healthy self-confidence. And, uh, you know, parenting books, it, it's, you know, I talk about the, the importance of giving your children self-confidence, self-esteem. And I'm not saying that that's all bad and all wrong, but I think that the world goes way too far and basically tells us that's the end all. That's, that's where our hope ultimately needs to be placed is in self, inwardly. Um, but the big problem with this is, is when our hope is placed in ourselves, placed in our giftings, our, our abilities, our talents, is it's going to fluctuate. And this is not just for young people, but for everybody. Um, if we have a good day or a good week or a good month, our hope's going to be high. But if we have a bad week or a bad month or a bad year, hope's going to be very low. This is why Proverbs says, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. it says that he who trusts in himself is a fool. Um, I, I love uh, what, what a pastor, Pastor Brian Hedges, he says this, um, this, this quote to me is really fascinating. He says, uh, discouragement is often just the flip side of self-confidence. I recall reading somewhere that to be disappointed in yourself is to have believed in yourself. So it's it's interesting that both the very self-confident person and the the naturally kind of unsure, discouraged person both have the same problem. They both have hope that is set in something that it shouldn't ultimately be set in. It's set in themselves. Um, there's also the danger of of placing our hope in, in our feelings and in our emotions. And this is really what I was guilty of. Uh, I probably didn't realize it at the time, but when I was in high school, um, and not the fault of anybody, any adults that, that influenced me, but just I developed it myself, um, is I, I, um, I basically, how, my, how I thought that I was doing, how I felt, determined to me how I was doing spiritually. So um, if I was in a worship service, maybe on Sunday morning or at a retreat or Wednesday night and I was really feeling it you know I was feeling the vibe of, of the song and uh, just really getting into it I just be like yes yes I'm, I'm close to God um, I love God and I'm, I'm doing good but if I wasn't feeling it if for whatever reason I just wasn't emotionally engaged with the music that day or the worship leader then I would be I just feel really blah and I'd be like man what is wrong with with me spiritually. I'm so far away from God. And I didn't realize it at the time, but my hope was placed not in Christ, not in God, but in how I felt about God and how I felt about Christ. And because it was placed in how I felt emotionally about who God was, who Christ was, of course my hope was going to go up and down because feelings are going to go up and down. They're going to come and go. Um, one of my favorite authors 
And this goes out to uh, Mark Colvin, one of his favorite authors too, Nancy Piercy. Uh, she says this. He says, The force of sheer emotional experience will not equip teens to address the ideas they will encounter when they leave home and face the world on their own. Young people whose faith is mostly emotional are likely to retain it only as long as it is making them happy. As soon as a difficult crisis comes along, it will evaporate. And so that's why, as a youth ministry, yes, we want to we try to plan some fun activities and, and do, do fun things, but uh, we don't want to be known as, a, as an activity-driven, program-driven youth ministry. We want to be, be a, a spirit-driven, a spirit-led youth ministry whose hope is in Christ and not in um, how, the, how the kids are feeling at the time or that week or that day. Uh, the old um, pastor, Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, hope what you please, but remember that hope without truth at the bottom of it is an anchor without a hold fast. A groundless hope is mere delusion. So what is the ground for our hope? The world would say it's ourself, um, but, but Scripture would say, no, it's not ourself. It's not our feelings, our emotions. It's God. Uh, one of, one of the, the biggest things that I think from just me personally that God's been showing me over the last really few years has just been how big he is. Um, just getting a, a bigger view of God and realizing that it's all over Scripture how much God is for his own glory, how much he, he, he aims to glorify himself. And uh, it's been a, a really cool journey. And uh, this, one of the things that we've, we're trying to start um, communicating to our young people is just having what I like to call a big God theology, just a big view of God, that he's bigger than, than the things around him. It's really just another way of saying what Pastor Bart's been, been hammering the last 17 weeks with the Hebrew series, that Jesus is greater than, than anything that you put on the other side. Um, but the, the interesting byproduct, in my life at least, of having a bigger view of God has been that as my view of God has gotten bigger, my confidence has grown. Um, it might be the opposite of what you would think. You might think, well, if you have a really big view of God, they're going to have a really small view of yourself. And so how are you going to be confident? Well, that's kind of the point. Um, your confidence, because you have a small view of yourself and a big view of God, your confidence doesn't disappear. It just gets re- redirected from you to who God is, to, to Christ. Um, I've, just being honest, one of the things that I've tended to struggle with growing up um, and have to, to battle with is, is discouragement. Um, and I've noticed, one of the things I've started to learn is that discouragement comes from be- becoming inwardly focused, from taking my uh, gaze and just kind of just staring inward. And um, the natural byproduct of that is I start looking at and noticing my flaws of which I have many, um, and it, it leads to discouragement. And I mean, this is what some of the old theologians would say. They said, basically, sin is just being curved inward. It's just being curved inward on yourself. Um, but that's not really how we were designed to live. Uh, over the last few months, Andy and I have been trying to, uh, to meet with every family, um, have dinner with every family in the youth group. And we haven't gotten with everybody yet, so if we haven't, had dinner with you yet. I promise we haven't forgotten about you. Um, we're we're going to get to everybody. Uh, but a few weeks ago, we, uh, we were at the, the Pals, at Kevin and Andrea's house. And they have, um, in their, their, their dining room, they have this, this telescope, this, this nice big telescope. And Kevin and I were kind of talking. Neither one of us know anything about telescopes, so they don't really use it. Um, but I was thinking about telescopes, and... Uh, and th- this, this idea, this word picture kind of came to me. Imagine if you had a telescope, a, a, a nice, expensive telescope. And all you ever did with it was um, you didn't point it out the window, but you took it and you had this big mirror in your house. And you, you pointed the telescope at this mirror and you just stared in the telescope at the mirror and just studied your own reflection. And that's all you did was you, you use this, this instrument to just stare at yourself. Well, not only would that probably not work, 
Um, but that's absurd, and we know it's absurd because we know that's not what a telescope is designed for. A telescope is designed to gaze outward, to gaze upward to the heavens and look at glorious things out in space and take things that seem very small and far away and make them look more like they actually are um, to us. In that same way, we are like, we're like telescopes, that we were designed not to be focused inward on ourselves. We were focused, we were designed to be focused outward and upward on who God is and taking what, who sometimes seems small and far away and making him look like how big he actually is to those around us. So we were made to be, to be telescopes. This is not a, a self-confidence. This is a God-confidence. And this is what we want for our young people, but really for everybody. Um, we want our young people to, to have a hope that is strong enough to withstand crises. Because some of them have already had to go through difficult crises, and, some of them are go- and they're all going to, to go through it in the future. And uh, are they, are, do, is their hope strong enough? Is it placed in something that's strong enough that's going to get them through, through this? Um, and for me... Uh, I, I've, I've seen this modeled. I, I kind of picked on my dad earlier, but um, he's been the best example of this in my life. Um, several years ago, he had a job change from Birmingham Southern to UAB, and uh, it was a very difficult uh, job change. And I'm not going to go into any details of it, but um, a lot of difficult um, circumstances, and the, the deck was really stacked against him. Um, and he he was discouraged, I, I know. I know he wouldn't mind me telling that, but through it all, I know, because I saw it lived out every day, that his hope <clears throat> was unwavering. Um, it was because it was placed not in himself and in his ability, but it was in God. And I saw that modeled. Um, and as a result, I know of him holding out hope. Uh, it's, it's part of why I am who I am today. So second, um, one, we want to hold out hope, but two, we want to attract them with awe. Attract them with awe. Young, them meaning young people. It says in verse 4 of Psalm 78, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Really, this whole psalm is, is a psalm of, of awe. Um, I encourage you to go read the whole thing later uh, this week. Um, it's a psalm that is in awe of who God is, of how powerful He is, of how merciful He is. Um, and uh, I, think we're, I think we're naturally attracted to people who are people of awe, who pe- people who live with awe. Just a silly example. Um, several years ago, one of my dad's assistant coaches, uh, he, he loved food. Um, he, was just, he was a really um, excited, uh, energetic guy, and uh, he, was, he just loved food. He loved to eat. And uh, those who know me well know that I love food, but he took it to a whole new level. And he would get so excited about what he was going to eat. And one of his favorite words was the word outstanding. And so you'd be in a group, because um, I was the equipment manager um, for the baseball team, so I would uh, be around the team. We'd be out eating, and we might, it might not even be that great of food. But uh, he'd just be so into to be like, man, this is outstanding. This food's outstanding. And uh, being around him, it would, would kind of rub off on you. You'd be like, this food is pretty good. Um, and uh, so he, you just were attracted to him. He, he easily motivated the players um, with his excitement and with his just awe of life. Um, at the same time, though, I think we're very quick to lose our awe. Um, it, it just, it's easy for us to become no longer impressed with things. The last three years, um, I, uh, I lived in Texas and um, lived and worked at a, a Christian boarding school um, kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And uh, this boarding school was, uh, was on a farm. So, I mean, it was literally on a working farm. So um, there was a lot of land, and uh, people had donated kind of exotic animals to this farm. And uh, so you, you'd drive on to the campus, and there'd be, there'd be bison, there would be camels um, out in the middle of Texas, uh, there'd be alpaca, there'd be llamas, donkeys, and uh, it was beautiful rolling hills. And I remember the first time, the first several times I would drive on, um, when I'd moved out there, I thought, man, this is, this is so cool. I get to 
live here. Um, this is beautiful. And, uh, you know, at night, the, you know, being out in the country, you know, the, the stars are really clear. Um, but over time, I was there about three years. Over time, I started to not notice those things anymore. Um, they no longer were impressive to me, and I started to grow jaded against them and um, dissatisfied with that place as a whole to where it, I didn't even think about the animals, or if anything, I'd get annoyed at how much they stunk um, as I'd walk, walk, walk by them. But it'd be interesting that um, if I was driving somebody onto campus who'd never been there before, and it was their first time to, to see the grounds, they'd be like, wow, this is beautiful. You get to work here, you get to live here. And it was just, I, I just have to be reminded, like, oh yeah, I guess this is pretty cool. Um, but it just, it was interesting how I'd, how I'd lost my awe for, for that place. And uh, I think we're, we're quick to do the same thing. I mean, even in our language, the word awesome is, is so overused today. Um, it just basically just means I like something. Uh, but if, if everything is awesome, as the Lego song says, I'm sorry if that's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day now, um, but uh, if everything is awesome, then really nothing is. Nothing stands out um, from, from anything else. Uh, so I think, I think the challenge, one of the challenges from, from this passage is, are we still in awe of God? Are we still in awe of Christ? Because... Um, this is really how these first two points are connected, hope and awe. If we're not in awe of something, how are we going to be able to place our hope in it? And how are we going to be able to hold out the hope of that to someone else? If we're not in awe of who God is, of who Jesus is, of what he has done, of what the Holy Spirit continues to do in our lives, in our midst, how in the world are we going to expect future generations to, to be attracted to him, to that? Um, an old Puritan, John Owen, he, uh, he says this. He says, It is no small part of the wisdom of faith to observe whether gospel truths continue to have the same savor and effectiveness upon the soul as they formerly have had. Basically, all he's just saying is um, it's really wise to just be continually checking yourself and asking yourself, does the gospel til- still taste good to me? Does it still taste good to my soul? Does Jesus still taste good to my soul? Can I still say that that he's outstanding, um, or have I lost my awe in who he is? And then last point, um, hold out hope, attract them with awe, and finally, remind them to remember. Remind them to remember. Verse 7 of, of this psalm says, uh, We do these things so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. This is really the, the most practical of the three points, so this is kind of the application part of this, of the message. Um, as I was reading through this, this passage um, several times, I started seeing that there seemed to be a connection in it between forgetting and walking away from God, between forgetting who God is and what he's done and walking away. See, in this psalm, the, the stubborn and the rebellious generation is the one that forgets. Um, in verse 11, later in the psalm, it says, they, the stubborn and rebellious generation, forgot his works and the wonders he has shown them. Verse 42 says, they, the stubborn and rebellious generation, did not remember his power or the day he redeemed them from the foe. And as, I was, as that kind of stuck out to me, I started wondering, well, is this just a connection that's in this passage or is this something that's kind of throughout Scripture? And so I started looking, I started seeing that it's really everywhere. Um, Old Testament and New Testament. This is exactly actually what God warned the children of Israel against earlier um, in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 4.9, God says this. He says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy 4.23 Take care, actually that word take care is the same thing as at the beginning of Psalm 78, give ear, pay, meaning pay attention. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. So again, 
that connection between forgetting who God is and walking away from him. Pastor Mark Dever, uh, he says this, he says, forgetfulness of God's grace is one of the greatest tools in the enemy's war against our souls. How many know that, the, that there's a war that the enemy has against our souls and against the souls of our young people? And so he says, forgetfulness of God's grace is one of the greatest tools in the enemy's war against our souls. And so what is the, the antidote, the remedy to this forgetting? Well, I think it's, one of them at least, is, is reminding, is, is remembering, reminding people to remember. And this is not just an Old Testament thing, this is a New Testament thing. Hebrews, um, you know, we've been in Hebrews the last 17 weeks. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect, if we forget such a great salvation? The Apostle Paul, and this is something that I'm, I was, we talked about earlier in, in this fall in youth group, is that the Apostle Paul loved to remind Christians of the gospel. He didn't just preach it to non-Christians, he reminded the church of the gospel. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. And in the world of sports, um, before a, a big game, and there's a lot of big games we know that are getting ready to happen in the next few days, um, but really any sport, um, before a big game, in pregame talks, um, is the coach going to get the team together, and is he going to teach them a brand new concept that they've never heard before? You can, is he, is he going to do that? No. Um, most likely, what he's going to do is he's going to remind them of things that he's already been working with them for weeks and months and years, maybe, before that game. And he might point out um, certain things about the opponent and say, okay, these are the things that you need to remember that's going to help you in this particular competition, this particular battle versus this opponent. But he's not going to teach them something brand new. He's already done that in practice, but he's going to remind them to get them ready. Um. I think, well, in movies, in the world of movies, um, some of my favorite movies, uh, my favorite action trilogy is, uh, is the Bourne trilogy, uh, Jason Bourne. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, basically the, the idea is it's this guy wakes up one day, he's floating in the ocean, unconscious, a boat rescues him, wakes him up, um, nurses him back to health because he's been shot. And uh, he starts realizing these things about himself, that he has all these abilities, all these giftings. Um, he can do all these things, but he, does, he has no idea how. He has no idea who he is. And so, really, the, the trilogy is it's a journey. It's Jason Bourne's journey of finding out who he is, remembering who he is. He knew once, but he'd forgotten. Um, and I think we're the same way. Like, Bourne had amnesia. We naturally have spiritual amnesia. Um, how many like the, the Pixar movies, the Disney Pixar movies? Um, one of my, I love the Disney Pixar movies, and, and I always will, no matter how old I get. Um, one of my favorites is, uh, is Finding Nemo, and uh, the, the sequel, I think, is coming out next year. Um, and I can guarantee you that Andy and I will be, will be at it. We might even take the youth group to it. Um, but do uh, you guys remember um, the bluefish, Dory? Um, what, what's Dory's problem in Finding Nemo, what's he born with? What? Short-term memory loss. She, she forgets things almost immediately. Um, I think we're more like Dory than what we realize. Uh, I think all of us have short-term memory loss when it comes to, to spiritual truths and the things of God. And that's why we have to be continually uh, reminding ourselves. I know in my own life, um, I, I shared earlier, I was... I, I've tended to struggle with discouragement growing up. Um, one of the things I've started to realize is that when I, when I do that, um, a cause of it is because I've, I've forgotten things that I knew. Um, I've just, through no real reason, reason or, or rhyme to it, um, I just naturally forgot uh, who God is, who Christ is, who I am because of Christ. And some of the greatest times with the Lord for me over the years, some of the sweetest times in worship or maybe just personally and in, in, in quiet time with God 
haven't necessarily been God teaching me some brand new truth that I've never heard before. Um, occasionally that, that might happen, but so many times it's just been him reminding me um, things that I knew before but I'd forgotten, reminding me um, about the cross, reminding me about Jesus, reminding me about who I am because of Jesus. And uh, so this is, this is important, um, both in our church corporate body life, but also in family life. I know that this was modeled um, in the shoe poem growing up. Uh, one of our family traditions um, at Thanksgiving, and when I was young, I, I know I didn't appreciate this. I was like, I was like great, we've got to do this again. Um, but we would, we would uh, um, after Thanksgiving dinner, uh, my mom would take out the, the, the calendar, um, and she kept pretty detailed uh, record of just things that had happened throughout the year. And our family would sit together in the living room, take out the calendar, and uh, my mom would just go through some of the highlights of the year. And uh, it was always really cool um, to look back over the, the previous 12 months and just see how God had moved and worked in individual lives and in our family, um, but also in our family as a whole. And to just have that record and uh, be able to remind ourselves things that we'd forgotten um, of how God had been faithful, not just at the cross, not just 2,000 years ago, but he'd been faithful just the last 12 months. Um, so, this, but this remembering is, I think it's warfare. Um, I think it's not just, a, just an intellectual exercise like you remember for a test or you remember your grocery list. It's warfare. Um, I think it's a, it's a tool to use for when, we're, when we are facing discouragement or even depression in our own lives. And I think this is why the psalmist says in uh, Psalm 42, um, who was depressed, he said this. He said in Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, therefore, I remember you. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. I think this is why journaling is important. Um, it's, it, you, can, you can look back. It's so cool to be able to look back over the past few months or even years and see how you were in a tough situation and then see how God revealed himself to you or revealed a verse that fit that situation perfectly. Um, but this is not just an individual thing. Um, this is a corporate thing. This is for us as a, as a body. Uh, back to Hebrews again. Um, you can tell I, I've been thinking about Hebrews a lot. Uh, Hebrews three twelve through 13 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're not just to remind ourselves even though it's, that's good to remind ourselves of the goodness of God, but to remind each other. And this is why it's so important to be together, both on Sunday mornings, when, but also Wednesday nights, small groups. Um, it's really hard to remind somebody of, of the goodness of God if you don't ever see them. Um, and so, so we want to remind people. So as I come uh, to a conclusion, um, we're really at the conclusion of 2014. Um, last Sunday, 2014, uh, about to head into 2015. And as I was thinking about this, I know that um, for some of us, remembering is not really a fun thing to do. It's really a painful thing. And we, because it seems like every time we remember, all we remember is are bad things that have happened to us or bad things that we've done, things we've messed up, slipped up at. And so we do everything we can to not remember because it seems like every time we remember, um, it, it leads to, to hopelessness. Um, but as I was thinking about that, I, I started thinking the Bible doesn't just talk about um, people remembering and forgetting things, but it also talks about, about God forgetting things and remembering things. The New Covenant uh, in Hebrews 8.12 says this. It says, He remembers our sins no more. He forgets our sins. But God does remember things. Um, see, we're not the only ones who have a past, who have a history. Jesus also has a past. He has a history. He had a, 
an actual history on earth where he came, was born, took on flesh, lived, died, bore our sins, bore the punishment we deserved, rose again, and that's, the, that's what God remembers. God remembers Jesus' past. And you know, Hebrews talks about how Jesus is, is, uh, is interceding for us right now, literally at this very second. Jesus is at God the Father's right hand, interceding for us. So what that means, I take that to mean is, literally, Jesus Christ is the living, breathing reminder daily, moment by moment, to God the Father of who we are. That we're not defined by our past, we're defined by Jesus' past. And it's because God has forgotten our past and remembered Jesus' past that we can have hope as we go forward into the future, as we go forward into 2015. Um, so, uh, I want to I close with um, a, a movie clip. Um, so, whoever's doing the, the videos up there. Um, <clears throat> this is, uh, I'm going to set this up. Um, this is one of, uh, my, this is probably my favorite sports movie is where this clip is from. Um, probably one of the favorite movies of my family. Um, and I'm not a hockey fan, um, but I love this movie. And uh, this movie is called Miracle. And it's based on the true story of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. And uh, a little bit about that team in that year. Um, the 1970s had kind of been a, a rough um, decade for our country. Um, financially, it had been bad. Um, we weren't in a very good place financially. Morale was, was low. Um, we were kind of uh, looked down upon and among the, uh, the world, so really probably not that different from modern-day uh, situation. Um, but the Olympics were, were that year, and the Winter Olympics, and for whatever reason, the country had kind of grown um, attached to and started paying attention to the, the U.S. hockey team, the U.S. Olympic hockey team. And back then... Um, the hockey team was, was formed from, uh, from college players. It wasn't the NHL, wasn't the professional hockey players. It was just the college kids. So they were 19, 20, 21 years old. And, uh, but the powerhouse in the world that year, the hockey powerhouse, was, um, was the Soviet Union. And they had been for decades before. They had won like six out of the last seven gold medals for, for, uh, for Olympic hockey. And... Um, they had before the Olympics had started. They had beaten the uh, the NHL All Stars, so the best that America, the best hockey players in in America, the Soviet Union had just crushed them. Um, they'd even played uh, our hockey team, the U.S. hockey team, the college players. They'd played them in an exhibition game before the Olympics and beaten them like ten to three. Um, so it wasn't close, and. Uh, but our, so our hockey team, um, coached by Herb Brooks, um, they, they entered into to the tournament, the, the Olympic tournament, and they'd done pretty well. Um, but the time had come for them to, to face the Soviet Union hockey team again. And uh, everybody knew that this was coming someday. They knew that if, if they were going to have any chance at winning a gold medal, they were going to have to go through the Soviets. Um, the whole world knew that. And uh, so they're, they're sitting um, in their locker room before the game, and uh, knowing that this is not just a hockey game, this is um, the, the, country, the country's eyes literally are on them. The, the, the whole United States is, is watching them, watching this game. I think my dad remembers watching this game live. Uh, and so I want to play a clip from this movie of, of, of Coach Herb Brooks, played by Kurt Russell. And hopefully you can get past the 1980s hair and crazy pants. Um, and just listen to, to what he says. And uh, so, is it ready? Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. 
If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what does. Um, I just wanted to close with that. Um, I know that he's, Coach Brooks is obviously wasn't a Christian and he wasn't placing their hope in God, but I think it's a great picture, a great example of, of holding out hope to people in a, what many would view as a hopeless situation. And uh, so kind of going off of, of Coach Brooks, um, I want to say that now is as good of a chance and opportunity as ever. Um, right, right now, um, going into 2015, to, uh, to influence the next generation uh, for Christ. And that everyone in here, if, if you are a follower of Christ Jesus, you were born again to make a difference. And uh, you have everything in you, you have everything that you need to hold out hope, to attract them with awe, and to remind them to remember. Not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And I'm tired of hearing about the negative stats of young people walking away from the church. And uh, I say that, our God is greater, that Jesus is greater, and I'm excited to move forward um, to, to, to not let the ball drop um, during my generation, during our generation, and influencing um, young people for Christ. Um, so let's, uh, let's go out there and take it. Um, amen? All right, Father, um, we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that you are the source of our hope, that you are our anchor. Um, Lord, our hope does not even rely in uh, any of our abilities to, to be clever in how we talk to, to young people and, and any techniques that we have. Our only hope rot, um, rests in you. So God, as we wrap up 2014 and head into 2015, God, we ask for you to go before us. Um, we thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for all that you've done, for all that your spirit is doing right now and for all that you're going to do. Thank you that you are faithful to complete what you have started. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Stand up with me.